In this digital first world, the old ways of recruiting are becoming obsolete. Or are they? The talent demands on every business has put TA squarely in the hot seat. Welcome to Talent Acquisition in the Trenches, a real dialogue podcast with talent acquisition pros closest to the front line. We want to talk to our peers who are actually doing the heavy lifting day in and day out. You're going to learn what their biggest challenges are and how they're being solved. I'm your host, Matt Reimer, and I'm here to talk about TA. I've been in TA for over 20 years, and what I know is that I don't know. I'm here to listen and learn just like you. No scripts, just real dialogue. My friends call me Reimer, so friends, let's create some new riffs with Reimer. Thanks for trenching in. Today's guest is Luke Kerrigan. Luke has an extensive healthcare recruitment background with significant roles in sales, account management, and staffing. Currently, he is the director of healthcare enterprise sales at Phenom People an HR tech company that offers an intelligent talent experience platform. He's also an entrepreneur and recently exited two staffing firms he founded, Teradin and MedHire, focused primarily on RN staffing. And he's also the host of two podcasts, the renowned Bo and Luke Show and the recently launched Ashra Podcast. We're also going to go a little rogue today and have our first guest host on the show. She's from the rogue hire healthcare community, Megan McCall. Megan is currently the head of talent management for Stanford Healthcare. She has an extensive background in recruitment and workforce management across a range of some of the nation's most recognized health systems, including Scripps Health, Grady Health, and Vanderbilt University Medical Center. She's a data-oriented TA leader with a BS in accounting and an MBA from San Diego State University, and comes to us with a wealth of knowledge in designing and leading healthcare TA teams, and I'm super excited to have her along in the show here today to help us interview Luke. Megan, are we ready to get rolling? Yes, let's go for it. All right, Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Matt and Megan. I can't wait to dig in. I'm uh, just honored to be here. Yeah, well, we've been looking forward to this one, and, and Megan and I were, were talking a little bit yesterday, and, and uh, we, were, we were excited to have the opportunity to, to kind of sit with you with your background from an from a HR tech perspective. And then, you know, also as a practitioner, I mean, you've been in staffing and so you've recruited nurses. And so, you know, we're, we're very excited about this. So let, let's lean in with uh, our first question and, and uh, kind of see where we go from there. You know, you've been in HR tech for a while, specifically for anyone that looks at your LinkedIn bio in recruitment marketing and candidate generation for, for really over a decade now with some roles at Monster.com way back at the beginning, Career Builder, Brazen, and, and now Phenom, right? So one of the questions that I'm interested in learning more about, and, and we see this inside of, you know, uh, healthcare TA, I, I'm assuming this happens in other verticals, is that sometimes we get sold technology that then isn't adopted, right? Um, it isn't adopted correctly inside of the ecosystem or, or whatever. And so when a, when a relationship goes south, you know, and, and again, vendor agnostic from, from, from you know, your perspective. That tech deployment doesn't go well. And in the end, you're either at risk of losing a customer or you actually lose a customer that you closed. Why does that typically happen? I love this question, Matt. So thank you. I have a lot of experience in this. So if I get too long-winded on it, just let me know. But I have experience on it from two angles. So at the beginning of my career, it definitely happened, right? And so I was able to learn from that quite a bit because nothing stings worse than that, right? It is just an attack on, I feel like it's an attack on me as a human when that happens that I just didn't do my job. Now we fast forward towards, you know, I'm 
in my early 40s, and I've tried to dial it in a lot more. I'm proud to say that now it does not happen. And I've taken steps in order to ensure doesn't that doesn't happen it for you or doesn't happen in the market? Does not happen for me. Right, it happens right. in the market all the time. So I'm hoping that this can help other folks out there too, mm-hmm. because I, my claim to fame is I've made every mistake in the book. There isn't a mistake that I haven't made. And I've been fortunate enough to learn from those. But it comes back to a few key words that I'd say. And they're all pretty basic, right? Number one is just a sense of accountability to not only the person, but the organization that you're working with. So that's number one. You have to truly believe if this goes south, it's my fault. That will change your actions when you're going down the process with an organization and a partnership, right? Because you're things are always going to go a little sideways sometimes. But if you go in with a mentality of it's my fault, you're going to rally the other people around you to do the right thing and make the right decisions for that. I mean, let's just all assume that things are going to go wrong at some point. None of these engagements go 100% perfect, but that can be an opportunity for not only for you to make it right, but build more trust. And that gets me to the second part of the second keyword here, which is pretty basic. It's listening. And I know that might be groundbreaking for some folks out there. And I think they told me that at the beginning of my career and I didn't really listen as it were, right? But uh, truly listening to what's going on at the organization, their problems. I ask everyone I talk to the same three questions. It's what problems are we solving? What does success look like? And how are you going to measure that success? Now you can go down rabbit holes galore based on how people are, how people respond to that. You know, I heard a stat, Matt, and this is, I'm going to rabble on on this for a minute because it's something I'm very passionate about, but the stat like stopped me in my tracks. It was that salespeople only retain 15% of what a prospect or a future partner tells them. Hmm. That is meaning like up in the pre-sales process, they're only only retaining 15% of what's going on. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. So then a light bulb went off in my head and I said, you know, I just need to be a lot better at retaining and recalling information that's specific to them. And what really gave me comfort in this is you didn't have to be perfect. Okay, if you retain 30, 40%, you're still not doing great, but you're twice as good as everybody else around you at that point. And then you're getting your your partner that you're working with to that to that goal, right? So I think listening and just being aware of what people's drivers are and what that future state looks like is super important. And then we get in down to the rabbit holes of, you know, those three questions of what does success look like? How are they going to measure it? And understanding what their, I, I almost say like win theme is for their organizations. Like I talked to Megan, I talked to you on Monday, right? And one of the things that I respected a ton and why I was excited to talk to you is, you know, Megan's silver bullet straight up is people making a human connection with other people. Mm-hmm. And my gosh, when you have a goal like that and you know that, that technology is then set up in a different way. So when I hear something like that, immediately my mind says, I need technology to get out of the way of people. I need it to be automated and I need people to have less clicks when they're doing something. Yeah, I just need, is that right? Yeah, right, Megan? Absolutely. So Luke, tell me about how you translate that knowledge on the, from the sales perspective to the actual account managers. Because from my experience with a lot of the technology systems out there, and especially moving into a new organization where I'm trying to get my bearings with a new system, I keep wondering, like, and scratching my head, 
what happened? Like how were certain tools sold to us and what is the experience supposed to be like? So tell me about how, how you translate that, the sales pitch and what you learn to the actual experience ongoing after you've closed the deal. 100%. So I think that, that what good looks like for me, if we, I'm not there yet, but I want like a partnership process to be like going to dine at a three-star Michelin restaurant, right? Like everything is done for you. Now, of course, we're not there yet. Not even I'm not there yet, but I'm trying. But that even comes back to accountability. So as a salesperson, when you're transitioning, you know, this partnership, you might have worked six months, a year on to get. Are you accountable to yourself and your teammates to not only translate that knowledge, but do so in a way that's really helpful to the partner that you're working with so that they feel involved? So there's a couple of things that I do. So I do what's called a mind map a lot. I don't know if listeners are interested in a mind map. Basically, you should Google it. It's just a form of note taking with little branches and trees on it. And it's a way of you know getting back to what I said at the beginning, retaining and recalling information. but you can fill out these mind maps with folks live on Zoom. So I just sit there and take notes. I shut my mouth and get back to listening, right? Well, you can use those in different portions. So now when I look at a mind map, when it's very sensitive and you're handing off you know, the account to account management, there's a couple things that are happening. So this mind One, map in the end is an artifact that kind of memorializes, if you will, what you and, and the you know, head of TA aligned on, talked about whatever in the pre-sales process. That's right. Hmm. That's right. It, and it has to be done again and again because things change. Getting back to saying like, you know, well, we might have worked on this partnership for six months to a year to bring it into reality. I mean, let's think about that for a minute. And what changed? If it's been in contracting for six months, how much of the TA team, and I mean this in the nicest way, really truly remembers what they bought? It might be six months since they saw an awesome demo. Mm -hmm. And what's changed in their world? Has their team grown? If we look a year ago, I mean, a span of one year could be everybody on lockdown in a pandemic and then coming out of it. Travel nursing might have been thousands of people compared to a few hundred. We're seeing so, so many changes in TA. What if they got a lot bigger team? during that one year span. And now their team is three times the size it was when they actually decided they wanted to buy the product. All of this changes not only what they bought, but how they're going to use it. So you need to bring everybody together. So what I do is I do the mind map again. So I do it during the sales process. Then during the handoff, here's our opportunity. Let's have a meeting with the account manager, with the client and myself, and let's go over it all again. I'm going to refill it out again, like going to a Michelin restaurant with what I know. And I want folks like Megan, right, to, to correct what I've got wrong in there. Then tell me what's changed. I'm going to put in who all the folks are on our side, on the vendor side, right? Who everybody's role is, who they are. So Megan knows who to reach out to, doesn't have to dig for that information. It's also her opportunity to say, well, here are the people on my team. And then we ask the question, okay, implementations are long. Things can get confusing, and it's a time when things often go sideways. What is the overall goal? What does success look like? Getting back to those three questions. So we can see the forest through the trees of like, okay, this is getting a little wonky, but is this going towards the end goal of, oh my gosh, this is going to be a home run? And now when we put that together, 
you know, as a group and have the client involved, I can then go out to account management. I can go to implementation and I can share it with everybody. So we're on the same page. There is no questions, right? Now, if things start to go really sideways, what I need to do is I need to get my senior leaders involved. We're talking SVP, C-levels, et cetera. Well, this comes back to accountability. If I'm sending in my leader into quote unquote battle, right, with no information and no resources to go help somebody, what would we expect them to succeed? We wouldn't do that to people that we care about or our teammates. So I think now I have all this information where everybody as a team can come together and they can glance on it and go, okay, I get it. Here's some ideas from my past experiences that I think will help, or maybe they've done this with other clients, right? Mm -hmm. So Luke, tell me a little bit just about your approach, because you're right, there's been a lot of changes in uh, TA. And for me, what one of my observations over the last, let's just say, two years is that there have been so many leaders, the head of talent acquisition in healthcare where we've just switched seats with each other. So you have all of these heads of TA across the country in these small, large, medium-sized healthcare systems who have moved into a new role, very similar role with a new organization and a new set of tools and systems. So it's one thing if the team has expanded or there have been different dynamics, but when the leader who's making those hopefully informed and thoughtful decisions about the tool when it comes to renewal time or when we have to buckle down and cut back and justify every dollar. What is your take on how to approach a new TA leader who is, and and I'll just be honest, like I'm a tough client. I am a very tough customer because I know my stuff and I can see through a lot of the smoke and mirrors and the sales pitch. And I'm highly skeptical of tools that, to your point, like they get in my way a lot of the time. So I have to be able to see like, how is this tool going to make my team's job, you know, easier, faster, less clicks so that they can be spending time with our hiring leaders, with the candidates in the community. But I, but from a tools and technology standpoint, it is tough to get acclimated with a system and a tool that you already have when you missed out on the sales pitch. And you're like, why did we select this tool in the first place years ago? So just tell me a little bit about your take on that with so many leadership changes in the healthcare space. Sure. Yeah. Well, then we just have to go through the whole process again, right? And uh, the good news is we've already done, usually have done the implementation and it's not, it's not like a massive lift and shift or like you're moving heaven and earth to make these changes. It's usually tweaks, but we got to understand and truly understand what your style is, what your past experiences are and the, and the goals of where you're trying to take it, right? Because we could, and I'm so glad you brought this up because if when you go and you work with folks, so like, let's say it's two clients, you go somewhere, then somebody else from somewhere else goes, takes your position, right? Say they both have phenom. Now we got to go in and we got to figure out, okay, oh my gosh, what is this style and what are they trying to do and accomplish? Because their experiences are going to dictate that. We get these all the time where like for you, you know, you said it was, which I loved, which every, by the way, every health system is that's listening out there, their goal should be to increase the human interaction. Technology is just supposed to be an assistant. 
It's not supposed to steal the show. The only thing that works is human interaction. Like, let's get there, right? It's making a huge comeback. However, you might have some TA leaders that come in and go, nope, I came from staffing and we're going to do an assembly line now. We're going to have marketers, sourcers, coordinators, inter- screeners, full, full interviewers, and then we're going to put them right into the hiring manager. I mean, those are two radically different processes that the technology can handle in each situation, but we just have to be mindful enough to ask those questions in the first place. Because being in your position, now I like to put myself in your shoes, right? How frustrating is it if somebody isn't listening and it was set up as a full desk system, but now they want to do an assembly line and it's never going to work if we don't listen properly and adjust to what's going on. Maybe we need to look at the product mix. I mean, if we just look at those goals as to what's going on, and I guess put that human element, show a lot of empathy into what's going on and reaching your goals. I, I just don't see how that can fa- I don't see how it can fail, but even if it does, I think that it's very amicable because they know that you tried. And if at the end of the day, if it's a different technology that helps you get there, I don't think there's any hard feelings. If it would happen to where somebody was going to part ways, I'd want them to part with a smile on their face and go, you know what? We just needed something else at that time, but awesome experience. I think they're great people. That would be a good outcome. So, you know, you, you get to experience a lot of these TA leaders, right? And, you know, we, we've talked about this on this show before where, you know, recently there's been so much money pointed at HR tech. And there's yeah. so many different solutions out there, right? You know, even me, somebody that's up against it decently, like, I don't even know what the full ecosystem <laughs> is right now at some level of, of all the tech options that, that exist, right? And so, you know, we, you know, consumers, all of us, regardless if you're buying HR tech, or you're buying some shampoo, you're buying a new laptop, somebody taught you somewhere that you needed that thing. The market at some point in time taught me that I needed a CRM. I didn't have a CRM, but somebody taught me that I needed it, right? And so if you have a gifted marketing function, a gifted evangelism function, right? In theory, you could teach the market that maybe they, they, they need something, but they don't actually need it, you know? And so like once it gets yeah. into deployment, it's like, I bought this thing, nobody uses it, and I, I don't know that I actually need it, right? And so if we, were, if we had a group of you know, healthcare TA leaders sitting around a table right now, and we were teaching them how to make wise decisions you know, inside of their, their TA ecosystem, what to buy, how to look for noise, how to look for marketing. But, but to drive to value. So not from your perspective, but now from the TA lead. What, what do TA leaders get wrong when they're yeah. buying new tech? I love this question. Uh, it reminds me of, you know, with all the examples you gave there, the perfect one for me is the chatbot. Mm-hmm. Like the chatbot got so far out of control, like with different vendors and everybody out there, like everybody during the pandemic said, oh my gosh, we need a chatbot. And they were plugging in stuff that had nothing to do with talent acquisition. It wouldn't even some of them would be like, hey, you can chat with a live recruiter if that recruiter even has time, because by the way, they're busy and doing other jobs. Some of it was a totally different company that 
just ask frequently asked questions. So the chatbot to me was one of those things that people were like, oh my gosh, we need it. They plugged it in and were like, oh, well, now what? It was confusing to the candidates, confusing the team, right? So in, in your broader question, though, about evaluating everything, I think you got to, as a leader, figure out, number one, is this actually going to be used and is it going to be beneficial? Will it take away from what my team is actually doing? Because there's a tipping point to where if you bolt on too much technology, you're, you're going to have shelfware. It's just not going to get used because your team might not even have enough time to use it. Or if it doesn't integrate well, like then it just becomes a pain in the butt to even use it in the first place. Right. So we're seeing it now come full circle in healthcare. We saw this. Oh, my gosh. Healthcare is great within the past 25 years. I think we should do tons of case studies on it. And this isn't even TA technology. Let's look at electronic health records. Let's look at ERP systems. Workday hospitals would bolt on so much junk that didn't talk to each other. It was crazy. Now, in the past five years, you're seeing a mass consolidation. Vendors are doing amazing things. I love what Epic did with electronic health records and my chart. I mean, they connected patients to doctors in an electronic way. That was very impactful. Now we're looking Workday is coming across the system right now and consolidating a lot of these functions, you know, onboarding, recruit, finance, supply chain. So we're seeing healthcare now kind of lead the charge in consolidating all of these, especially from a C-level perspective. So we're seeing CEOs actually say, Nah, I need to make the platform play for my team. Like people aren't even going to be able to use this, right? I heard was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and they got rid of all computers inside, like doctors' office, well, in the in the patient rooms, right? And the reason why, and the doctors, of course, like lost their mind. They're like, "Well, I can't have access to anything that we have in here now in front of the patient." And the CEO said, "Just talk to your patient." What's missing is that human element because you're standing at your computer the entire time, right? Hmm. And to me, that was very insightful. And they said, you know what? You need a scribe? Get a scribe. They can come in and help you out with this, but we're going to have better results by actually having that interaction. So it's getting back to the simple parts here. Now we go to talent acquisition, right? This is, look, there is huge money across different uh, different platforms. When you look at electronic health health records, you look at ERP systems. There's a lot of money going in there for those. So they consolidated quicker. Talent acquisition was a little late to the game just because it's a smaller subset of what we're doing as a whole, right? And if you're consolidating and pulling millions of dollars into an ERP, you can understand that that would be later on. Well, in the meantime, now you had tons of startups coming up, texting solutions, CRMs, you had AI stuff that sits on the outside, separate career site vendors, marketing getting into it, right? We had different companies out there. Programmatic came on the scene. And so now we got to a point where TA leaders, in my opinion, were buying tons of things because we needed it. My recruiters need to text. My recruiters need programmatic, right? No, my recruiters need a chatbot. We need a CRM, like you mentioned. They bolt all of this together. Then they said, oh my gosh, none of it's talking to each other. So then in reality, it got really hard for the recruiters to, you know, kind of swivel chair back and forth between the technologies. And they just kind of threw their pencil in the air and were like, you know what, I'm going to go back to what actually works in my day, which was a spreadsheet, believe it or not. Uh, So they did that. So now we're seeing it kind of can recontract in with a platform play in talent acquisition, which is awesome to see. You're seeing companies get bought out. 
which then they're, you know, they're coming out with amazing IP and getting bought out and they're being annexed into these other platform plays. I think the future looks really bright for it as a whole, but we just got to be super mindful as to like when you're evaluating technology, number one, is my team going to use it? And is it going to just, or is it just going to get in their way? And I think that should be the first question anybody asks themselves, because if it's going to get in the way or they're not going to use it, like, what the heck are we doing? To Megan's point, we could probably make more headway just actually having a conversation with a person. And if we look at technology as just a trigger to get that conversation going, healthcare is going to be in good shape. So Luke, will you tell us a little more about just the concept of a CRN? There are a lot of not-for-profit healthcare systems that I've worked for. And in previous years, like with a lot of just the financials, we couldn't even afford to think about a CRN, much less try to figure out everything that we're talking about today. So for the organizations that don't have a CRN, but they're looking like what problem does a CRN solve for the recruiters? Love that question. Great question. So the problem that the CRN solves is getting those conversations lined up and stacked up for the recruiters. All right. When I look at it, health systems have an awesome competitive advantage all around the licensure and that they're usually the largest employer in any area that they operate in which is great. That means they have a lot of talent coming to them that is qualified. Like other industries would kill to have that competitive advantage, by the way. It's awesome. But now we have the problem solution paradox, right? Where just because we have all those candidates, it gets to a point where if I have 100,000 people in my ATS as a recruiter, what, am I going to send out 100,000 emails? No. 100,000 texts? Like, who do I even call at that point? So what they end up doing is just kind of sorting them by date and going, well, this person was interested within the last couple of weeks. I guess I'll kind of reach out to them, right? What healthcare talent acquisition teams need to look at a CRM as is a way to trigger when those 100,000 people are relevant for one conversation. And you might only get 20 a day, but that is fantastic. When we look at quality, to me, quality isn't, do you have just, it's not only do you have the skills, abilities, and experience to do the job. The biggest part here is, are you willing to have a conversation now? Because that's the only thing that matters, right? If you knew which 20 of those 100,000 qualified people were ready to have a conversation today or trigger that, you're going to be in good shape. But it almost gets to be too much with these ATS systems filled with so many people. It's also got to be targeted and relevant to people. What I hate, and everybody has gotten these, is email campaigns from CRMs that have nothing to do with what you're interested in, right? Like, so if you're like an RN and they're like, hey, here's our EVS jobs or accounting jobs in corporate, like how, how much more could you turn off a clinician than by sending them an email with every single opening that you have at the health system? Like, it's just terrible, right? And yeah. go ahead, yeah. So when I look at the applicants, for Stanford Healthcare, I think about the new grads who apply where we might have a thousand new grad applicants applying for 100 seats in our Mm -hmm. new grad program. But looking back, if we are in constant contact with candidates, even before they graduate, I keep thinking about, you know, we talk about our open requisitions, but for the candidates, it doesn't really matter what's open today. What I really care about is having our recruiters connect with every single 
human who is interested in working at Stanford Healthcare because at some point in their career, if the timing is right, we want to have that relationship up front. And for it to not just be a marketing email about what jobs we have open and it be all about us as an organization, but really changing that conversation so it's about the candidate before they're even a candidate and having those conversations because we will constantly be recruiting and advertising to them forever in their career, when they're a student, when they're a new grad, all along their career, they retire, they decide to come back, they leave for a competitor, the grass isn't greener. And instead of it just being about what openings we have at the moment to really get at what is the motivation, what is that candidate really looking for in their career? Or what do they think they're looking for? And they don't even know what all of the options are. And so the conversation is very different than a hard sell on a current opening. And, and really, that's where our team is headed. We've already started this year. We've made major strides with certain jobs that we consider to be critical, difficult, or visible. But I just keep thinking about it is not about the requisition. It is not about filling the requisition today. We will fill our requisitions. But if it's about the candidates, we are preparing for the future for decades to come instead of just, okay, what are our hot jobs today? And so that's the balance that I think has been really tough when I think about tools and technology. And I haven't found anything that is going to replace that conversation about, you know, why healthcare, why, you know, being a mammotech or an RN or in our technology and digital solutions team or Nutrition. I mean, there are so many different career pathways that someone might be interested in. It might be about the job. It might be about the organization. But if we don't have that conversation, I'm still struggling with how a technology is going to help solve that. So that's just where I am. And I'm still trying to figure out what tool other than a heart to heart conversation. And so that's mm -hmm. what my team yeah, yeah. is doing through what, what, spreads at the moment until yeah. we can figure out how to leverage technology. Yeah. And, and so like the, 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 the cool thing that I just heard you say is that you have, you know, at Stanford, you've initiated a mindset shift, right? And so like, even if you, when you think about the ATS, the ATS is basically perfectly designed to manage a requisition, right. not to manage a candidate's experience. And so in, in, you know, I, I you know, also had the luxury of <clears throat> deploying a CRM way back when somebody taught me I needed a CRM at UPMC and then nobody used the thing. Right. And I, and I couldn't really figure out, like, in my mind, like, what, why isn't that naturally happening? Well, the mindset was we got to fill these requisitions like the, the goals in the inside of the organization were structured to fill the requisitions. Right. And, and so then, you know, obviously you get the output that, that, that you create. Something else that, that has been dawning on me here recently to kind of expand upon your riff, Megan, is two things. Number one, and, and like I, I've like known this, you know, really since I've been in leadership is that this experience, like, like when you think about what Luke said about us having, in essence, a market. So we have, in essence, in our most of our databases, probably what, half or 75% maybe of the total addressable market of candidates inside of the communities that we serve. Guess what? Those are also our consumers. They're also paying the bills. They're making choices 
whether I go to Stanford Health or whether I go to XYZ Health System and, and buy insurance and, and uh, you know, provide care. So that's the other thing. So, so the really, I think the pointed challenge for Luke to maybe help you unpack, which is we know we need to do more human interaction, but we only have so much time and focus from humans. And so how across these larger databases, how does that personalization scale, right? How does that actually scale up? And so the, the last point was I had a chance to talk to uh, Ray Amos over at iSIMS here. We just, we just did a show, we actually just published it. And she, she gave me some insight that I just never really thought about before, right? Which is like, we're, we're also entering this era of, in essence, communication expectations evolving, meaning the mm -hmm. people coming behind us, the generations in behind us, actually communicate by text, you know? And so, these relationships that we're also trying to curate might not need, you know, to, to, to last these durations as much face to face. But what they need is strength built in between those face to face interactions. And so how am I creating personalized text check ins with, you know, this candidate that I'm trying to pull along? that I might not put into a requisition process for 18, 24, 36 months, right? And so a lot to unpack there, Luke, but I guess like the core question is, is how does experience scale? Well, I'd I, I want to, we can talk about this for hours, by the way, Megan, but I love you got, this. We're, we're coming so, up on, you got like 15 <clears throat> minutes left to figure this one out. All right. Out, well, so. <laughs> all right, well I, got, I, I got this one. So, the, and this is where it gets fun. And, and Megan, what, I know I keep coming back and saying this, but you're kind of like living in the future here compared to other where we see other healthcare talent acquisition systems. And I love it because you catch me off guard because you want to do what we're like healthcare systems should be doing, but I don't know if they're ready for that yet. So where my mind immediately goes for you is why would we use a CRM to send out job openings then? Why don't we use the CRM as a tool for like, what's in it for me for the candidate? Like, let's imagine this. What if we take the hundreds of thousands of people that you have in there and every week we send them out a communication as to what Stanford Health is doing for their team members and for the employees to almost get it to a point where, because look, we live in the information age. If they want a job at Stanford, they're going to go find their way to the jobs that you have. It's going to take two clicks on their iPhone. They're going to find it. But how impactful would it be to send out a blog about a successful career path story? Maybe about how you help somebody in their family. Maybe what you're doing for work flexibility. The things that work, the workforce truly cares about right now. I like to say, I don't know who said this quote. It was probably Ben Franklin or Abraham Lincoln. But it said, if you want to get to somebody's head, aim for their heart. And now I'm thinking about, you know, when we, uh, we need to expand the way we think about a CRM that it's not like, Hey, let's just send out what jobs are available for you right now, because that's just, you know, it's, I mean, sure. I guess if it's automated, whatever, but to me, it's like, it's not aiming for the heart. It's not completely lame, but we could do better as a society. And I mean, we even look at your branding. I mean, you're, you're freaking Stanford. Like, that's awesome. You already got that going for you. We need to get to a point where there are people beating down your door saying, I want to work for Stanford and I don't care what position it is. I just want to be part of this community. One of the best Russell, best, just said her name, one of the best lessons 
I was ever taught was from a lady named Joyce Russell, who's fascinating. She wrote a book called Cherry on Top. She's incredible. She's a former CEO of a deco. So ran a $28 billion staffing firm. And so she, I had the opportunity of having her mentor me for about a year and she's incredible. And so she told me, she said, the only way to be successful in recruitment, the only thing that works is you need a swell of qualified talent coming to you in every single market that you operate in. And the way that you do that is you articulate what's in it for them. You listen to people, you give them flexibility around their job and their family, and everything else will take care of itself. She said, you know, at ADECO, we were number one in the world and we didn't do that just by giving people the best deal. What we did is we only did business with people that paid well and already had a great relation or a great reputation for being a great place to work. And we ignored everything else. That's the only thing that we did. You know, so Megan, jump into that. What are your I thoughts? Would, I would just add the the challenge for me right now, because we have had some really great momentum. We've been hosting Stanford live streams to highlight certain areas so that people could picture what it's like to work in uh, certain areas. But for me, the challenge is the rejection experience mm-hmm. and transforming that you didn't land that job into maybe that job just wasn't for you, but let's talk about a different job or let's talk about what on your application or resume might be distracting from all of the great things that you have to offer for that role. So for me, that's like the next frontier for me or what I'm really struggling with is how can we change the story from screening candidates out to drawing them in and figuring out you know, what is the right timing? What advice and consultation can we give candidates to help them really bring their best when it comes to trying to land that job? So all of those other pieces are great, but if we have a swell of candidates and then we reject everyone, of course, that is, you know, it's heartbreaking when you go through and put yourself out there and try to get a job with an organization and then you're just getting rejection emails or text or it's so so for me that's really what I'm wrestling with to figure out okay how can we provide an amazing experience even if the candidate doesn't land the job because to Matt's point like these are our patients these are our loved ones in the community these are the friends and family members of our current employees and we really need everyone to have an amazing experience regardless of if they get that job that's so impactful. So it, and it, that just screams to me that like only a human can do that. I mean, I know like I work for technology companies, but there's some things that technology just flat out shouldn't do. And I think that's such a delicate, personal conversation. And, uh, you know, to your point, Matt, that like the ATS is just, you know, I hate it when an ATS just sends out a rejection letter like, my gosh, companies stop doing that. So Megan, is your goal then to get to like a point where the human does that? Because I, I just don't see a place where technology can pull that off. It's a balance. So I would rather get earlier in the process so that we can have some type of timely communication to give that guidance. If we need to leverage technology because we have tens of thousands of applicant, active applicants and we cannot get on the phone or text them personally to at least have a thoughtful message that gives personalized advice on where else the candidate might want to either um, upskill, obtain a certain certification 
to be able to, you know, increase their chances mm-hmm. of an interview. My, my hope, here, here's where my hope lies. <clears throat> my hope lies in, and, you know, we're probably not going to be able to dig into it because, you know, I, I know we've got some, some things going on here at the top of the hour that we need to get to. But my hope lies in leveraging machine learning and artificial intelligence in other spots of the process to free up time for more creative pursuits with the candidates. And so, a for example, like if you were to do time studies of where recruiters spend gobs of time, right? Um, My guess is that there is some repetitive, highly repetitive stuff that we're doing that does need to be handled by a machine, right? Like whatever that is, building job postings. I mean, like I've met recruiters that will literally wrestle because they're not writers. They don't write. They're not marketers. They're great recruiters and relationship builders, but I'm not an editor. And so they'll wrestle with trying to craft the greatest job posting for half a day, trying to get mm-hmm. that out there because we've made that a priority. So that's just one example. You know, and, and so my hope lies in how inefficient the, the, the overall process is that we have structured that with some leaps in process efficiency that we free up time. To give back because the, the the friction here right is that most organizations aren't going to go out and hire as margins are pinched an army of recruiters to create new experience and so it has to come from within somehow and so i do think that there is this marry of um technology and humans for healthcare specifically i think it's ripe for it it's ripe for it because it has a significant staffing challenge and it also has pinched uh, margins. And so we're not like tech where per recruiter we're spe- or, or per hire, we're spending 5, 10K, 15K, 20 per hire. We're spending sometimes under 2K a hire, sometimes 500 a hire, right? And so like my hope lies in leaps there. I just haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen that platform come together to, to, to the earlier point, create a fluid UX for a recruiter that they're not wasting time throughout their day, right? And, and so if we were to pull up probably, you know, what, Megan, 75% of our recruiters' calendars and actually look at them, like actually study hour by hour what they're doing every day, my guess is that there's like not as much candidate interaction as we would hope for as leaders. So. Agreed. It's, you know, it's getting there. We see, you know, from our own AI and machine learning, quote unquote labs, I'll call them. Mm -hmm. It's where we already have things that are pretty much there. The only downside here is you got to give it some runway. Mm -hmm. So AI and machine learning needs your specific context. Yeah. Yeah. So like Megan, you know, for Stanford, like if we were to just take whatever like Baylor Scott and White does with their AI and put it on Stanford, it'd probably be a nightmare because it's just a different organization that's got different context and different things. So it's the only other thing as to where AI is at right now. Like the the silver bullet is you got to have context in it to make it unique to you. Unfortunately, that takes time. Now, it's not like forever, like usually even six months to a year, it can dial it in pretty well. But it's, you know, you just got to be mindful that it's kind of like teaching your 10 month old to yeah. walk. It's going to stumble for, for a little bit, but it'll get there. And soon before you know it, it'll be running. So Megan, what do you think about here? Round one, uh, bringing this one to a close. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. I feel like we need some more time up. though. Yeah. huh? 
It's true. I, yeah, it's true. We could go on and on. Yeah, yeah, we could. Well, I have one like I'm going to take like a hard left turn here for the, for your last question, Luke. So hard left. All right. right. All right. So let's do it. Industry friend told me to ask you about aliens. <laughs> What's that? All oh, about? my gosh. So, I mean, all right. So I believe that. Do we all agree aliens exist? Everyone on this call? <laughs> like, who am I surrounded with here? Well, I, 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 you know, I have no proof to suggest they don't exist. And so I, I guess by Socratic uh, elimination, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I think like, first of all, they got to exist. The universe is way too big right, for all right. that. But, but at the same time, like as humans and I, everyone, please don't roast me on social media for this, but <laughs> like, it just doesn't seem like we were from this earth as humans. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's, let, let's look at the, the facts here. Like if we're in the sun, every other animal that's from earth is okay in the wild. Like cows are cool out there year round. You can get as cold or as hot as it wants. There's there's Texas cows. I, without clothes, wouldn't survive like one month in Texas in a field. All right. <laughs> if we're in the sun too long, we burn like we just we have to be so sheltered in here that it just doesn't seem like we naturally came from here. Now, do I think that organisms probably came on comet or an asteroid millions of years ago? I mean, you know, I think they, there's a good chance for that. So you're suggesting just, we, Luke, are the aliens. Yes, hundred percent. All right, so now yeah. I know. Now I know what your position is. So uh, we, yeah. we, we, we maybe can explore that next time. You know, we're we're together. And so hey, and, and you, you do have some logic there. You know, we don't fit in so well, right, in inside of the ecosystem. And so it's an interesting position. So we'll we see don't. if you get roasted or not. We'll, uh, Megan and I will. I probably look will. forward to that. So. <laughs> Well, this has been amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Sure. I could talk to both of you for uh, hours on end. Sure. So please, please have me back. I, I don't want to beg, but I will. Yeah. Uh, so if, uh, you know, Luke, uh, folks want to learn more uh, about you, uh, what you're doing at, the, you know, Phenom people, uh, continue the conversation. How might they get in touch with you? Oh, absolutely. Well, anyway, just uh, you can get me on Instagram, LinkedIn at Luke Kerrigan, Luke.Kerrigan at PhenomPeople.com or Luke at The Bow and Luke Show. I'll pretty much respond anyway. Yeah, I'm a, I'm in sales and podcasting, so I'm You're pretty everywhere. darn easy to get a hold of. Yeah, Megan, how about you? If somebody wants to learn more about what's going on at Stanford, is LinkedIn appropriate, or would you like some yeah. other mechanism? Yeah, I'm going to keep it simple. So LinkedIn is my go-to. Cool. All right. Well, we appreciate everybody listening in today. Megan, thanks for the co-host support today. You, you you did a fabulous job. Luke, thanks for standing in the hot seat a little bit. Uh, learned a lot today, and I appreciate your time. So. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Good deal. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right. We want to thank you for listening to TA in the Trenches. We are produced by Iron Mike and his team at Ironbound Media. Keep up the great work, team. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You also can find me out on LinkedIn where you'll find quick show riffs. Feel free to ping me. I always respond. Bye for now. <laughs>